Hello and welcome back to the Edit Undo podcast. And we have got a exciting surprise for you today. We are doing something a little bit different and I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's something that I've been talking to Steph about for what? three, four, five months, I've been just trying to find the right excuse and the right reason to actually get it done. Um, and so here we finally are. And for the I first guess. time, we're having a series of conversations. <laughs> yes, yes, I can be somewhat hard-headed and persistent, <laughs> especially for the things that I want. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it because I think for the first time, we're going to be having a series of conversations that are focused around a connected group rather than speaking to individual people who are in a diverse set of, of um, set of crafts. And not to say that there isn't value to that. That's something we'll still definitely continue doing. But I think there's a unique opportunity that we have um, at this point in time to cover <clears throat> the idea of a creative craft in a creative organization, but in a way that touches on what it looks like for each person that's a part of the organization. Um, and you might already be recognizing this beautiful face that we have in front of us here today. Sabiha is also our very first and very amazing repeat guest on the podcast. So <laughs> welcome Thanks to the show, Thanks for having Sabiha. me back. Thanks for having me back. Feels like home at this point. Yay. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. Yeah, that's I'll what Yes. I'm so in agreement with you. I'm I'm quite excited that we're taking a bit of a different approach with the few episodes coming up. It's going to be interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people that have been listening or if you've been um, also consuming other creative podcasts or content, it's always from the perspective of a single creative, either usually the uh, individual contributor or the manager or leader of some sort. But never, or not never, but very rarely, not even where I've really come across, can you hear a single threaded story from different perspectives and how that functions. And I think that's very useful for people who maybe are stepping into the workforce soon or even just anyone that is so blinded by the rest of the people they work with and how all the pieces fit together. So it's going to be interesting mm -hmm. to see how this plays out. We're also like winging this and see how this is going to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As Definitely. we do most things in life, right? And in business. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so maybe <clears throat> this, this episode is going to be a little bit different, especially because, you know, you've been on the podcast before. So I don't think we need to dive, mm. you know, we don't need to turn the clock all the way back. Um, I think w what would be interesting and what might give us a little bit more context is some of the work you and I have been doing together. So I think, you know, the people who are mm. um, somewhat closer in my circle will sort of be aware that my time as a, as a employed and um, paid person <laughs> in that context, at least is, is coming to a close and I'm going to mm -hmm. be, be running my own business full time. Um, and I have to, I do have to admit before I go forward, Sabia has been a huge influence in that decision and building up the confidence to do that. Um, but I think what's maybe even more interesting is what you and I have actually been doing together. You know, um, I've, I, I talk about mentorship a lot. I've given a couple of talks about it. I've, you know, I, I pretty much share it with anyone who is willing to give me the time of day. Um, but I think, Sabia, what you and I have been doing has been a little bit more focused, a little bit more practical yeah. and applied to the real world. So it'll be cool and very interesting to dive into that. Firstly, welcome to the dark <laughs> side. I hope you've got <laughs> a psychologist and a psychiatrist on hand because that's the, you know, step one before you go mad mm. like I have. Um yeah, I mean, I think, Alfie, you and I have been on a journey. And when you say what we've been doing, I'm, I'm trying to segregate what exactly you want to talk about because <laughs> there's also been so many different elements to that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, mm. I think, but, I mean, to talk about mentorship and, and understanding how you have been a mentor to me as well is something I would like to delve into, right? Mm. Like for you to have come in and played a role that I don't think either one of us knew what we were doing when we were starting. We were just like, okay, yeah. let's try this thing out. I don't think we labeled it as mentorship at the time, but I think the mm. influence you have had 
you know, on me as well has been massive because of the amount of knowledge you consume, whereas I have the practicality. And I think you brought the knowledge and I brought the practical problems and experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. together we started seeing the magic of learning in that sort of environment. And I think that Mm -hmm. might be the best way to introduce, Mm -hmm. you know, the concept of campfire, the concept of experiential learning and learning in community. And not not just learning from someone that has necessarily done it before, right? Like you actually have not done what I've done before, but the amount of knowledge and mentorship you have provided me in that process has been enormous. Mm-hmm. And that's just purely because you consumed the knowledge, like you had the theory. Mm-hmm. And together with my experience, we were able to create new knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It, and that's think, what's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. It all sounds really exciting and I really want to get into it, but I also want us to quickly pause. Not everyone will be going back and listening to the first episode to know your full history, but Sabia, maybe you can give us like a little snapshot Mm. because there's also a reason why we are speaking to you first amongst your whole team. So maybe you can just Mm. tell everyone exactly what your role is, where you're working right now. And then mm-hmm. we can kind of get into the nicer stuff. And Amazing. just an, an, yes. a, 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 a sort of one little thing to add on to that. I think when you speak specifically about your role, I think it would be good to also put into the context your role in terms of also the workflow of Jack. Like when a piece of work mm. comes into the business, like because um, I guess mm. because I, I sort of know the process, I, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that you're typically the first touch point. So it would be good if yes. you could dive into a little bit of that as well. Okay. I think between the last time and this time that I'm here, the biggest difference is my title. So officially uh, strapped on the CEO title because I officially have a group of people that I'm leading. Before this, I dabbled in, you know, managing director and design lead, all the various other titles that sort of got me to this point where I now can confidently say that, I'm, I Yes, I founded this company, but I'm also championing it and leading it, hopefully, into the next era, which is tricky being the founder and being the CEO, which whole whole different podcast. <laughs> but with that, and because we're such a small team, the, the actual role that I play on a day-to-day basis is in sales, essentially. How, how the big entire, is the team? So there's five of us. Mm-hmm. which may not sound like a lot, but when you have five people's salaries to pay at the end of every month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's precious. Yeah. Feel, it feels very real. And, and it's not, yeah. it's not 5,000 grand salaries, right? Like these are very professional people, but mm-hmm. yeah. So there's five of us and basically everybody else is in delivery for the most part. So everything that's not execution is my job. I like to focus on sales, but when it comes to HR, finance, legal, anything and everything in between is what I need to focus on or at least have an answer for. But on a day-to-day basis, what I do is I sit in meetings and I answer emails and I write proposals and I meet a lot of people. And in the last few weeks, that's been in person, which has been insane to get into a car and drive Mm -hmm. from meeting to meeting to meeting. And now you've had three coffees in a row and you're hyped up (laughs) at the end of the day. (laughs) Buzzing like today. And I think that's been a really big change almost backwards because I feel like that's what I did when Mm. Jack was in its infancy back in like 2017, 2018, getting new business. And that's what I'm doing again now. So business development, sales, dabbling in the marketing and trying to understand what that actually means. But the entirety of Mm. my role is to make sure we have work to do and that we get paid so that I can pay people. Sure, sure. That's a lot of pressure. I do want to ask, you know, Alfie obviously knows you on a more personal level and he has spent Mm. so much time with you. But you and I know each other from back in varsity and um, we were both studying at Open Window and you were in interaction design and development, if I remember correctly. Yes. I'm, I'm just selfishly curious, why... 
how did you know you wanted to start your own business? Because we actually didn't touch on this much the first time we chatted to you. Mm. And now you were mentioning, you know, being the CEO and one of the or the founder of your company. It's a, it's a very challenging dynamic. And I'm curious, how come you want to be in that position? Did you always know that you didn't want to be a, a, like a contributor or an active creative per se? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll try and give you the Cliff Notes version of yeah. the last nine years. But <clears throat> essentially, the business <laughs> was cre- created out of need. So as, as simple as I needed to buy food, I needed to start paying rent, I needed to figure out how to be an adult. And that wasn't a planned process. Unfortunately, it was like towards the end of my first year where like finance, no one could financially support me anymore. And it's like, either you get married or you need to like figure stuff out. So mm. a lot of trauma there, but I'm working mm. through that. So yeah, I did it. It wasn't born out of love, but out of need. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's also called Jack now. Back then it was just me. So I was the only contributor, so to say. And also, like, you know, in Open Window back in 2013, you did subjects across the board. You know, it wasn't yeah, specialized yeah. from day one. So I had basic skills in a lot of different things. And I would just sell those services to anyone that needed it, right? And eventually that became my nickname, which was they would call me Jack because they're like, you're the Jack of all oh, trades. I did not know if, that. <laughs> if we need anything, you're the person we'll call, you know. Mm. So I used to do... It started off with photography is initially that was actually till today what I still do, uh, which is wedding photography specifically, because that was the biggest chunk of cash I could get at the time. And then it was things like logo design, motion design. And then as my software skills improved, I started doing a lot more software work. And that's when I realized, okay, here's where the actual money is. So the also the trajectory of the business has really grown with the need and with, um, you know, the demand at the time. Yeah. And that's why I cannot fully say what Jack will be 10 years from now, because mm-hmm. we just heard about spatial computing and all these fun things. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to think that Jack is going to be a brand that's about creating safe, magical spaces that people can problem solve in. And it's really going to depend on what the problem is at the time. And hopefully we will be mm-hmm. skilled enough or continue upskilling ourselves mm-hmm. to be able to solve those problems. And I think that's really where Alfie came in was to help define that and understand how do we as an organization create a vision and create processes that allow the people in the company to grow together. So instead of having mm-hmm. a fixed a fixed company definition, how do we continually grow that definition so that the company goals and values are always aligned with, you know, the contributors and the employees' personal goals and vision so that at no point do they feel like they're no longer aligned so that the company is actually molded around who they are as opposed to who I am and what I want. And that was, yeah. I would say, the biggest differentiator is seeing the company as, to me, molding clay as opposed to mm. like a fixed, yeah, interesting, yeah, object. What a nice, what a nice pivot to start the conversation <laughs> into where Alfie somehow fell into this journey. <laughs> <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and I think you know. It, one of the things you mentioned, Sabia, which I think most people won't really be able to appreciate very much, is that it wasn't it was it wasn't even that like, you know, we were sort of feeling our way around, you know, a, a process that we were kind of familiar with. It was literally like mm. week by week. I would try to figure out what are we going to do next week and how does that lead on to our next, uh, our previous discussion. And it's actually very interesting because I think that actually helped to make the process a little mm. bit more organic. Mm. <clears throat> and so, but, but I think that that process different. is also exactly how we build software. It's exactly how mm. we, mm-hmm. I run my business. Like when it's literally week to week, right? Like you're taking yeah. information mm-hmm. You, you're making a decision right now. Next week you check in, all the information has changed. You have to make a new decision. So I think 
your background in mm. software and in agile processes and methodologies made us feel safe in that uncomfortability, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So the first place I want to start, because I think this is really where I, I think the first, one of the first things, well, part of one of the first things that I kind of brought to you guys when I, um, mm-hmm. when I was still at the beginning of my thinking in terms of how we were going to engage and what I was really trying to do and mainly also, I think it was born out of a need because I always felt whether I was working at an agency or working in the bank or working at IoT Next, it always felt like my day-to-day work, the things I was doing, were somehow detached from what the organization is trying to achieve. And so really yeah. the first guiding principle was focused around bringing the future and the present together and then bring the individual and the organization together. And these were the four sort of categories that I think we started in. And I think one of the things for me that was that was um, very, very interesting, I think, about engaging with Jack specifically, is you guys were surprisingly self-aware. I think there were a lot of things that I expected to need a whole workshop to do. And like, it was almost like you guys had those kind of answers, um, you know, ready and, and kind of like waiting. So can you maybe talk a little bit about like putting the design thing, the, the design side uh, or the design element to the side for a second? Can you yeah. talk a little bit about how you guys operate together as a team and as a group and maybe some of the initial, um, some of your, your initial thoughts when I kind of first um, approached you uh, with, with, with this sort of proposal and this idea. Sure. Um, okay. Let's see, where do we start, <laughs> start to answer the seven part question? Um, I, I think the best place I, I will start Alfie is to maybe mm. explain that the team you met took a really long time to become that, right? Like we didn't start from day one as a very well-oiled machine, which is the best way, Mm -hmm. you know, we can think of it now. Like, and the way we operate and the best metaphor I can use is as a sports team. Like everybody Mm -hmm. has a position, everybody's on the field with the same goal, same thing that they're trying to achieve. And that's why we work so well and so efficiently together, because that's the one thing I think that surprised you is how much we get done in a very little amount of time. And it's such a high quality, right, which is usually unheard of. And I think a lot of that comes down to understanding, to being self-aware, to actually understanding how, who each person is, how they operate, what is their optimal time of working how do they work how do you work with them and how do you actually learn yeah how do you actually understand a human being and can the business adapt to that is there space is there a culture to be that honest and be that vulnerable and not be taken advantage of because I think that's a big fear we've had. And I think that's something me and you have had in common in our job hopping <laughs> activities is we always have so much to give. And the minute you show how much you're capable of, all you get is more work and less money, less promotion. Like somehow it's inversely proportionate and it just it, mm. you burn out and then you leave. you like the values don't align. Like what you said in the beginning versus how you actually operate do not align. There's no integrity. And yeah. I think that's where it took me a very long time to both unlearn a lot of the processes and values that I learned working in industry to consciously decide to not do in my business, but then to also figure out what is the right thing to do. You know, mm. and you you actually mentioned that the things I'm doing is the things you've read about. But I never read those <laughs> books. I didn't start from knowledge, right? It was trial and error, mm. messing up, making mistakes, and then and not even knowing what you've built until someone from the outside looks in and they're like, Hello, have you have you taken a minute to like <laughs> actually realize what's going on here? <laughs> exactly. You know, and and I didn't see it until you actually stepped in because you have, I mean, the most, you know, a bird's eye view of of us as a team, whereas we were on the field every day doing the work. And all we knew was that we were happy to do it and everyone wanted to show up and play ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I forgot. Yeah, that is the, forgot all the other parts of the question. But. No, 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 no. That's 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 totally okay. I think I was trying to to get off okay. uh, started along this this specific line of thinking because I think um, a couple of the things that I I want to point out, and I'd like to get some of your your the the the, the, the underlying thoughts of them. Because you mentioned there were a few things that, you know, you guys were doing and you were in the middle of it. And then when you kind of get this outsider kind of steps in. And I think the very first thing is how open you guys were. Like, I think within two (laughs) discussions, I was seeing like finances. I was seeing like operations. I was seeing clients. And those are things that like you would typically have to pry out of a company's hand, like dead hands. And I think so maybe that's a good place to start. Can you talk a little bit towards how you've kind of approach this idea of transparency and kind of bringing mm. bringing everybody into the circle and into the know and and what that means yeah. specifically as a ceo and a founder because i think when 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 it's somebody else's business whether or not you tell doesn't really matter <laughs> but when yeah. it's your business <laughs> that you're responsible for like every piece of information that you share is information that is yours that you're giving away so can you yeah. talk to that a bit I think I'll bring it back to an exercise the team and I did. I can't remember when exactly. I think it was last Mm -hmm. year, April, when we had a team member that left. And the team was very new at that time, right? The team you see today has been built over the last year, (laughs) a year and a half, so Mm -hmm. to say. But last year, April, everyone was very new. And we had the first big problem in the business, so to say, and things didn't go well, uh, I had to ask the person to leave. And then I was set with this responsibility of how do I inform the team? Because it happened over two or three days, right? And it's almost like, oh my God, what happened? We didn't know there was a problem. Sure. And that's when I realized like, okay, I can be honest and I can be blatantly honest, but still being respectful to the situation. I, you know, there's all these different ways of approaching mm-hmm. it. And I've been in businesses where are you going to talk behind someone's back? Are you going to give half information? Do you give certain information to certain people and other information to other people? <laughs> and that's where hierarchy and, and align, like it's survivor out there, right? Like when, <laughs> when there's issues and when there's alliances and stuff. And that's where I think it started, where I made the decision to be blatantly honest and in the sense of opening up all the documents to say, guys, this is how I came to my decision. Because in black and white, the person just was not meeting the expectations. Mm-hmm. And here is the proof of that. And that meant opening up the financials from day, from that moment, right? They, they had you know, just started working, at least two of them yeah. just finished university. They had no idea about what any of this was and we sat in Paul's lounge (laughs) and we opened it up on the TV and I was like this is how much came in these are the sales this was the targets x y and z and after that we did an exercise to say okay you know what if we're going to have new people join this team in future what is it that we actually value? And I think businesses do this value exercise as a business instead of as a people. So we sort of mm-hmm. reverse engineered that process. And I said, we all literally, I think it was a notion, probably I'll find it, <laughs> a little exercise we did. But we literally went around the room and for each person, I said, what, what do you as a person value? What is important to you? Who are you as a person? And we, you know, literally went around like almost like sticky notes, wrote down not just words, but an explanation of what that meant to us. And at the end of it, we looked at it and we said, holy crap, guys, we actually have very similar values. There are very similar things that are important to us. And what it proved is that there are no, it's not that someone was bad. It wasn't that the person was a bad person or the wrong person. They just did not share our values because that's where the, the tension was, was like, oh, but the person was so nice to us and we had such a good time with them. What was the problem, you know? And, mm. and I couldn't explain it then, but now I can where things like transparency, kindness, work ethic, excellence, striving for excellence was not part of their value system. You know, like showing up and being kind and nice was, and that aligned and it was, you know, 80%, 
of what they were offering versus yeah. for us yes it's an important pillar but being excellent at what we do is very important to us as well so it yeah. really started when we had the first big problem as a team together and ever since then we made a conscious decision together to be blatantly honest and open and it took time and it's still taking time there's still problems still today but what we did was at least from my side create space and time for people to bring problems mm. up for people to discuss them so that you're not just like sitting with something and not knowing when's the right time yeah. so for us it's every thursday mm-hmm. morning that is the time if you if there's if you're too scared to say something you talk to me you talk to somebody but thursday morning is when we all get together and we say what went well what didn't go well and what we think we can improve which again is a software methodology you know tool mm. that came from my developer days but i use it on an organizational level and on a human level because a lot of times mm. the things that are not going well is me as a person is struggling and i mm. think a lot of that transparency came from me first because i was going through very deep depression after all of that i think that was actually the last time we spoke i feel like i was in the worst place of my life mm. everything was crashing around me because of success because everything was going well mm. and i looked around and i was like everything that i've been working for i've achieved but i'm still not happy and i'm still not okay and i had to sit with that and that's where the therapy came in not just for me but for the team as a whole so the self awareness you're seeing now is literally everyone has been in therapy for a year plus you know hey, 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 i love that <laughs> talking <laughs> talking to mm. someone and for me i i was going every week last year and this year mm. i'm going every two weeks because so much happens in an entrepreneur's life in in business in work in these early years of our 20s so much is mm. changing and you as a person is changing and the world yeah. is changing at such a rapid pace If you don't address the small things that come up and it may sound ridiculous but if you don't address them they start being big things. So that's yeah. the best thing I could say is we've tried to create space to talk. I'm finding it quite interesting that you said you and your whole team were in therapy obviously individually <laughs> not together. Um is yeah. that something you encouraged is that something the organization enforced how did everyone respond to that because you know there are very mm. different opinions out there about any type of therapeutic <laughs> yes yeah. so yes. i'm quite interested how you approached that how people adopted it and mm. yeah so i think it started last year i mean 2021 december Um so both Claudia and Dylan were just interning with us at the time and we had a meeting with a guy from a company called Ali Health where they basically provide mental health credits to businesses to give access to mm-hmm. therapy at a more affordable price mm-hmm. and yeah so he was pitching it to us and we were all there so from the get go it was like okay guys what do you think about this you know have you considered therapy is anyone in therapy and it started with me testing out their platform and actually booking a session with the, like a therapist at the time and then i was like okay cool this seems easy to use and i asked everyone if they would be interested in it again i'm very big on making group decisions because i'm not going to pay for something if no one's going to use it because every yeah. three grand counts <laughs> on my balance sheet mm. at least um and everyone seemed keen So and it's a month to month subscription so we pay 3000 rand a month and you get 20 credits and a session is either half an hour or 60 minutes so it's either i think two credits or four credits so at the very least each person could get one one hour session per month with a qualified therapist sure and like for the first two or three months i was the only one using it <laughs> and i was like okay So again I said okay guys I know it's it's uncomfortable like mm, yeah yeah just having a discussion what are you feeling do you, and then I said if you don't want it just tell me I can cancel the subscription you know and then I said okay but before I do that try one session see how it feels and you don't need to talk about work talk about anything in your life 
And okay. literally after mm-hmm. the first one, everyone was hooked. <laughs> so it was a thing of, okay, if we're going to cancel this, at least I want to know that we tried it and it didn't work. But yeah. I think everyone mm-hmm. found so much of value in talking to someone that wasn't me. Because I mm-hmm. am not qualified to be managing your mental state. Like I try my best to create an environment <laughs> that is safe. But as much as we can talk internally about our problems, you need you need to talk to a professional, especially in those early stages. And at least with Claudia and Dylan, they weren't addressing like serious mental health issues. For them, it was like work-life balance. How do I create a schedule? When do I work? Mm. Because they had a lot of freedom. That was the problem they were dealing with was... I didn't tell them when to work. I just said, this is what needs to get done. You're not, we're not in an office. There was no formal structure. So that was their challenge. And that's where they started. And from there, I mean, I don't know what they've talked about in therapy, but I can see the Mm. difference. (laughs) Sure. I like that. Till today, we we have it, yeah. That's very cool. And I I think it, it, it speaks... It speaks to a couple of really interesting things, but I think one of the ones that I just want to pull out and highlight is specifically leading by example, because I think therapy is one of those strange things that no matter what, as a business, you can never force a person to do it unless the law is on your side. It has to be a personal decision. And, and, and for that reason, the only way really to encourage people is by example. Because if you're not willing to go there, like you've got no leg to stand on um, to to ask the rest of your team to do so. Yeah. And, and I think the best way I could say that I did it was two ways. The one was we all have shared calendars. so Everyone can see what everyone is up to and what meetings, you know, when you're booking things. Yeah. So it was always in my calendar that I had a therapy session every week at the time. And... I told them that they don't need to have therapy sessions outside working hours. I would actually want them to have it during working hours Mm. so that, you know, we fully covering both paying for it and yeah, Mm. when it's accessible. And I think just again, giving permission, because again, people don't know and they don't know they need to ask for that. And I think giving that permission and, and being like, this is not, it's not a shameful thing. I said the same way you guys mm. are booking your gym and your lunch and all of this into your day. Book your therapy sessions into your day, into your week, into your month. And we can work, work around it. We won't schedule meetings during that time. If, if it's in your calendar, we're going to respect that you're not available. And I think that helped at least get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think I think it's something that that a lot of people could learn from. And I think one of the things, you know, that you and I <clears throat> touched on in quite a few of our sessions is this very interesting idea of trying to scale without increasing your numbers. And, you know, it's one of the, the I think one of the great challenges of our generation, because with basically yeah. all businesses before us, it's like, you know, you start with one person and then you fi- hire your first person, then you hire your next, your first five people, then 10, then, you know, 60, 100, 1000 until you're a global <laughs> multinational superpower. <laughs> and oh, that gives me that anxiety. Seem, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that didn't necessarily seem like the road you were trying to go down. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you think about your team in terms of in mm. terms of its growth? Like, how do you think about growth? Because I think for a lot of people, growth almost automatically means either more clients or more people. Can you talk mm. talk a little bit about how you think about that? Yeah, I mean, listen, we're still thinking about it. I'm not going to pretend like I have an answer or that my, my opinion works in the real <laughs> capitalist society. But I think the one thing that we, at least right now, are very precious about is the culture we've built and is the relationship we've built with each other. So, for example, the four of us added one more team member last year, September. So, Claire, she's based in Cape Town. So there's a big disparity already with someone that's not available to see us every Thursday and someone that's Mm. outside of also the cult, right? Like we an open window (laughs) alumni cult. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got, we all, all four four of us are from open window, but in different years, right? So it's, I'm the oldest and then it's Paul, then it's Claudia and Dylan that were in the same class together. And it wasn't by design. It was by default that we attracted 
people that were like us, right? That's again what culture mm-hmm. is and what cults are formed around. So we have such similar backgrounds, understandings, ways of work. Open Window really yeah. grind, grounded that into us, you know. So having someone completely from the outside with very different ways of work has already been brought its own set of challenges. So I think the fear, because again, the growth comes from a lot of fear of what does this mean? Like if you grow in Mm. people, how do you maintain the human connection? And I laughed last year and I said, I don't have the capacity to care for more people right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's a very fair statement. I care care at a very in-depth level. And the reason we've gotten here is also that care has equaled into the amount of time spent thinking about these people, caring for them, taking all their concerns into account. Like the business is also sculpted around them purely because I can afford to do that with four other people. But if we now five, seven, 10, at which point is it a numbers game where you're like, okay, 70% of you prefer this and 30% prefer that. So we're going to go with the majority. Mm. And Mm. I think that's what, that's my fear around growth is that how do we then stay agile? How do we stay, how do we grow? And maybe that comes back to your question on what growth means, right? And being the plant enthusiast that I am, I look at plants often. And as I did, as like in high school, I was that person laying under the tree, looking at the tree change over seasons and understanding the philosophy of like leaves falling and roots and <laughs> I'm not going to go into all of that, but, you know, growth of a tree or of a thing doesn't mean you're spawning a hundred of that. Like being Mm. around for a hundred years, you are still Mm. growing, you're alive, right? Every day you're alive, Mm. every day the business is alive, it's growing. And to me, it's not just other people. So there's growth on a money scale, there's growth on a people scale, but the growth I am concerned about is individual growth. How are we, mm-hmm. as the five of us, growing year on year in our skills, in our relationship with the business, in the work we are producing? Is there growth there? Can we look back a year from today and say, wow, guys, we've grown and we are proud of that growth and we are happy with who we are and what we've produced in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very different measurement tool to a capitalistic balance sheet. And I truly believe yeah. that if we <laughs> if we focus on our growth and the things that are important to us and the things that we value, it will automatically show in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's all yeah. no, good and well said, but how does that actually <laughs> look for you practically as the CEO of this group of people? Mm. How do you actually then do that, what you're saying? <laughs> Mm. I mean, and that's where Alfie really came in, right? We were doing Mm -hmm. it unconsciously. And I think you brought the process to consciously understand that. And -hmm. I think a lot of that is sitting and making a lot of business decisions together as a team. So instead of everything Mm -hmm. sitting entirely on me, it's to sit to say if there's a new project that comes in, right? Like from our process perspective. And then I sit with the team and I'm like, okay, I met this person. This is what they want. This is who they are. This is where they're going. Is this a project we want to take on? Does this align with our values? Here are the pros and cons. So, for example, seven times out of 10, they don't have enough money (laughs) for, you know, what we're charging. So Mm. it's like, okay, are we going to take on this project because we believe in it, because it's something we want to do, because we're going to grow from this and we're going to put something in the world that we're proud of? Or not, right? And it's really, Mm. it's as simple and as complicated as that, where when a project comes and we (laughs) don't have the skill, for example, that's an area of growth, right? Like last year we got into NFTs, just a summer. (laughs) And it's like, okay, now we need, you know, 3D design skills. And now we need to understand blockchain. And now we need to understand all these different things. And because we said yes to... And that was an internal project with another co-founder of mine where 
it's like, okay, guys, I want to do this. And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't even know what an NFT is. And I have to then mm. go and learn, then teach the team mm. and then sculpt, like create processes around that. And what spawned mm. off of that decision of just saying yes to growth and yes to something scary was we started getting more work. Then we got Web3 work, blockchain work. We got more uh, NFT work. And like another client from the US actually saw the drop that we did and was like, hey, I want to, you know, create a crypto trading platform for kids because he's a school math school teacher in the US. So I think every small mm. business decision you make, everything you say yes to and everything you say no to mm. is what defines that, you know. So it's like, do you mm. want to grow in this path? Do you want because mm. everything you do, you're going to attract more of that. Mm-hmm. And I know it's it's not quantifiable. It is not a process. It's not something you can, I can't put it into a course and give it to somebody and say, this is how you handle your growth, you know, but that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing day to day, literally till this morning, I'm sitting with the team and I'm like, okay, this is now the new information I've gotten this is what we're doing. How do you guys want to handle it? What are you feeling? Is there something you're comfortable mm-hmm. with? Is it not? And that's how I'm making business decisions. It's instead of me saying, okay, we made a plan. This is what everyone wanted a year ago. This is the plan for the year. Oh, sorry, like Claudia, you said you wanted to do 3D design last year. So now I've gotten 3D work consistently, but I didn't listen that maybe six months ago, her desire for 3D changed. So Mm. that's how we, we are handling growth of the individual and the business is to say every new piece of work we're getting, everything we are saying yes to, is that aligned with where we as a business want to go? And is that aligned with where the people in the business want to go? Yeah, that's amazing. And I think like, you know, what you're talking about really highlights this idea of thinking about growth outside of simply growing in numbers. You know, there's a great book um, Mm. that I came across um, a couple of years ago called Multipliers. And it's focused around this idea of how good leaders don't have an additive effect on the people around them. Because an an additive effect of a good leader would be a good leader makes each person maybe 10% better. And then, um, Mm. you know, the more good leaders you have, you kind of get like an additive effect. But what instead um, they describe in that book is that when you have a good leader, they have a multiplicative effect because you've got a positive effect on the people immediately around you. And those people eventually also start to have that same Mm. effect on the people around them. And one of the interesting things that they highlight in one of the chapters is this idea of, you know, if if you were to really think about a corporate company and you were to think about an individual person in a corporate company and you were to ask yourself how, like, how much percent of that person's time do they like, does that person feel like they're using all they have, like all of the skills that Mm. they have to bring to the table, all of the knowledge, all of that passion, are they bringing all of it to the table? And I think anybody Mm. who works in a big company can tell you that that's not the case. But then if you then ask yourself, if you would actually spend the time to nurture this person and get to know them individually and get to understand like, what are the skills that they have that maybe don't show up on their resume, that maybe don't show Mm. up on their LinkedIn profile, but has value to provide to the company. If you could tap into that, how much more effective would each individual person be? And maybe that's a different way to think about growth. And and that's how I like to think about it. Yeah, and and I think that showed up literally in the past two days where we've decided, so another sort of growth point uh, from a business perspective, we said instead of going wider, we want to go deeper. So instead of offering more services to more people, how do we create more value for one client and then charge more? So, I mean, the... How can I say the vision for this year was do less, earn more. And we've been constantly Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what that means and what that looks like. So one of the things was to say, okay, we are currently doing branding. Um, You know, we do a little bit of brand strat. We do some brand identity. And then that basically filters into designing of a product. We're doing that because we need to know what the product needs to look like, essentially. Mm -hmm. And now we started questioning, okay, what is branding? What is digital brand? Because again, that's not our background, right? Like we're software developers. <laughs> we're starting from, again, complete left field and you're figuring out what the needs of the client are. And now we're sitting and we're saying, okay, what does deeper look like in the branding space? So we split up the teams, for example, and we said, okay, this team is going to focus on 
going deeper into branding. This team is going to focus going deeper into system design. And we've done this now for two weeks, essentially. And then Dylan literally sat with me and he said, I don't feel like I am going deep. I don't feel like I'm learning more. I feel like I'm stagnating in this process. And the fact that he could say that to me told me, okay, cool. I appreciate it because you're on the ground. You're doing the work. Just because the client is happy doesn't mean that it's good enough. You know, to a Mm. client, they're not, they're getting the value that they're paying for. But the fact that he as an individual is saying, I am not happy in my growth tells me that, okay, Mm. Dylan, let us figure out what deeper means to you. What do you want to do? How do you want to go deeper? And then how can I then in turn take that depth and sell it for a higher value? Because you have now Mm. grown as a person, your skills have deepened and the value you now saying you're going to offer to this client means that, Yes, we we might have used this client and we gave them more than they you know paid for. But the next client, I've now got proof to say this is what deeper looks like. This is now what it's going mm-hmm. to cost. Yeah. So that's like on a very basic economic scale of how depth and growth can look to a bottom line. Mm-hmm. But again, it comes from the person, right? Because I think mm-hmm. the thing we've all sort of struggled with is it's the work you do on a daily basis that defines whether you as a person are growing in a company. And I think I've mm. always felt within mm. sometimes three months, six months or a year, I feel stagnated. What I was doing at the beginning of the year and what I'm doing now is using less and less brain power. And I think mm. that's why me as a person, if I keep understanding where everyone's skill level, where their interests, mm. where they want to grow is going I can then make sure that the projects we are getting in meets that desire and meets that need so that the work they're doing on a daily basis actually is growing them and then in turn grows the business. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Hopefully. (laughs) Check in with me in a year from now and see. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Okay, cool. And, you know, I, I think we've, we've, we've talked quite a lot about some of the, 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 the growth elements, but I think one of the things that I'd like us to do, and I, I hope I'm not catching you a little bit flat-footed here, um, but <laughs> is talk a little bit about your role in the, in the workflow. Because I think it, mm. one of the things we'll, we'll, we'll cover um, with the, the rest of your team is how they actually lead into where the project starts. Mm. So say, for yeah. example, you know, hypothetically, you there's a, a person who has seen what Jack has done. They've seen your, your amazing new website, which everybody needs to go and check out like right now. That, I think it's Jack, Jack.studios, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Jack's, Jack's, jackstudios.co.za. Oh, jackstudios.co.za. Um, so definitely have a look at that. Very beautiful. But I think what I want us to do is give a person a little bit of an idea of when mm. they first engage with Jack and as, as an organization, what can they expect? Mm. And then hopefully we can also talk about how that then leads into the next person in the workflow. Mm. Okay, perfect. So I think before understanding how it, uh, how I start the process, it's understanding how they get to me, right? So there's so many mm. different channels in the sales funnel so to say Mm -hmm. so the one that you're talking about is the website so if someone googles us or someone is referred to us and they look at our website the only way to contact us is to book a call with me so it has a direct link to my calendly and we found that to be the most effective way because you want to talk to a human you don't want to type out an email of what your app idea is and Mm -hmm. you know you you find the the soonest availability and you book a 30-minute call with me the other ways that it sort of happens is via email. So it's like, okay, hey, Sabia, I've met this person or I've worked with this person and they need your services. Do you mind having a chat with them? And again, that goes into, hey, here's my Calendly, book a call with me. Like I don't even try and unpack via email what is happening. And that comes through many channels. So whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, WhatsApp messages, However, someone is referred to us, the first thing I say to them is book a call with me and I'm going to spend time understanding who you are and what it is you need. And that's basically, you know, the first step into getting to talk to me. That first call can either be the the whole thing. <laughs> Some people in 30 minutes can tell me exactly what they want, exactly what they need. And my job is basically to listen and to gather requirements. It's to sit with someone and 
take what they're saying and picture mm. that in terms of branding or software, right? So they're like, I want the Tinder for this and the Uber for that and however they explain their idea. Mm-hmm. I need to gather those requirements and one of two things happens. Either I need more information and we need to set up a follow-up session or like seven out of 10 times I can take what they've given to me and then go back to them with a proposal. And that's the next thing that I do. So I gather those requirements and then I put it into a customized proposal based on what it is they need. And hopefully if I do that part correctly, getting to yes is not difficult But Mm -hmm. if I don't do it correctly, if I don't capture the requirements, if I don't understand how much they're also willing to spend in that first 30 minutes without asking them, right? Like if I ask you, what's your budget? You're going to close up and you're not going to tell me. So I don't ask that question. I have to ask a whole lot of other questions (laughs) to get to that, (laughs) that sort of information, you know, and Mm -hmm. Then it depends how many other calls I have. Sometimes a lead can take a week to close. Like I can have met them last week, Wednesday, and this week, Wednesday, they're like, we're happy, let's go. Or it can take four to six weeks plus to actually, and then sometimes it's like meeting them with with them multiple times, Mm -hmm. breaking down the quote, saying, okay, you want this big thing, but actually now you're telling me the truth about your budget. Maybe we start with this or we don't actually, you don't actually know what you want and I don't know what you want. We actually need to have a functional requirements meeting and that's going to cost X. So Mm -hmm. that process can vary depending on who the client is. At which uh, point do you actually bring the team on board? Because I remember you mentioned, you know, it's very important to make a for you to make group decisions on how people feel about Mm. the client and the project. Do you only start having those conversations with the broader team once you have a proposal or only once they've accepted the proposal? At which point after the first meeting? It's a very good question. So I think it's twofold. The one is at this point, I know at least the basics of who the right clients are and who we've all agreed we're happy with. It's usually the anomalies that I'll have a discussion with the team at this point, right? Like last year, it was a bit more often. So say, for example, like we get a client that doesn't fit our ideal client because we've done that whole process together as a team. Then I would sit with them and say, hey, guys, listen, there's a corporate or there's one of these things that don't fit in with (laughs) us. <laughs> is this something we want to do? You know, like there's every now and then there's a dodge situation, you know, or something that doesn't always feel super ethical. And that's when I bring it up. And usually it's in, it's twofold. So sitting with the, the team leads, I'll do that every Wednesday. We have a check in across com- like a company wide check in. So from my side, I'll tell them what's happening in sales and sort of get their feedback. And then with the full team, it's on a Thursday. If something comes up, then we'll sit and I'll bring it up and I'll say, hey, this week I've spoken to this, this and this person. These ones sound good. These sound like they fit with us. Like we say, is it yes to client and is it yes to project? Those are the two. And sometimes it's no to client, but yes to project. Sometimes it's no to project, but we like the client. You know, it's not always a perfect mix, but it's a decision I'm capable of making now because I understand them and I check in with them often enough that they also trust that if I've made that decision, it's in their best interest. But when I feel like I don't have the answer and I don't actually feel comfortable making that decision, that's when I'll bring in at least once a week we have that check in. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so basically we... Yeah, it's this, that, that's the typical sales process. And then what happens is once they say, yes, we are happy with this proposal, it goes into a paperwork process where I get like put together a, a digital contract for them to sign, an invoice, all the fun stuff that you need to have in place. And then that basically goes out of sales and into delivery. So once they've paid the 40% deposit, that's when I create the project and whoever the project lead is, that's when I and them will have a chat and say, cool, this is all the notes. This is all, because again, I've gathered so much of background and so much of information on this person. You don't want the client to have to start from zero all over again. So I sort of try my best to document that, whether just in words or in like actually writing it down. 
so that the kickoff session they have with the client, they've got enough context and all the client is getting into now is detailed. So that's when they start capturing detailed requirements for the deliverables. So that process, as I said, can take sometimes as quick as two or three days where the client's like, okay, I want this, get a proposal to them. They pay the deposit and literally like two days later, we're having a kickoff session with them. And from there, either Claire or Paul will run the full operations and delivery. So they'll make sure payments are being made, milestones are met, client is happy, the team is delivering. I don't get involved after that for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Hmm. It's amazing, yeah. And I, I think one, one of the things that just sort of stood out to me, I think because you're telling the story, we sort of, glossed over it a little bit but it's it's such a refreshing thing to hear a person that is leading a business asking their team if they should take on a client i think you know if i think about my time in advertising (laughs) and then my time in in in, um, you know at at, well um free thinking was a little bit of a different case because you're placed at a client but when i think about Mm. general freelance work there's no question about whether you want to do the work or not. It's sort of like, this is what you're doing on this day and you do it. And if mm-hmm. you don't do it, you're in trouble. I think it's it's yeah. such a great thing to hear that there can be a conversation about the types of clients that we want, yeah. the types of clients yeah. that we don't want. Because I think in most companies, it isn't, isn't, it isn't even that they don't give you a choice about the types of clients that you want or they decide that for you. They don't even decide the type of clients they want. They're just like whoever's willing to give me money, yes. come through. It doesn't matter if you're yeah. if you want if you're giving us money to like you know skin mm. sheep or actually build a product. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's, it's that's actually so it, you, important. You know, it's something you can laugh about, but it's important. No, it is, and yeah. and I do that because I was sitting on the other side, right? Like I always say to them that. Every problem there is in the business is my fault because then I sold the wrong thing to the wrong person. So if there isn't enough time, if there isn't enough budget, if the work is frustrating, if the client isn't clear, I didn't do my job properly in the start. And there are times I don't, right? Like the client I meet and what they're telling me and what I sell to them versus when they get into the system and what they want. Because sometimes I'll check in because we have that meeting where, the work mm-hmm. done directly links to the money that comes in and that's the portion I control. So that's when I step in and I'm like, okay, guys, I planned that this invoice would go out this month, but now you're telling me that the like the client isn't happy or the scope has changed, but no one has said anything that, you know, we're invoicing for that. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of problems that have come up, but I think at the end of the day, the one thing I'm super aware of is that I'm not the person doing the work anymore. So I don't actually, I shouldn't have the full say on whether the work comes in or not, because at the end of the day, their happiness, their growth, all of that depends on whether they enjoy doing this work and whether they want to work with this client. And some of the times we all agree and we say, okay, you know what, we're taking a risk. We're going to do this piece of work Here's the pros and cons because I, again, they also don't have background, right? Like Claudia and Dylan, I'm the only, we are the only company they've worked at. So they don't have the baggage that I come with essentially. (laughs) So usually they're like, oh no, this sounds cool. And I'm like, whoa, wait, yes, this sounds cool, (laughs) but this is the client. This is the kind of, they want you to be in a meeting every single day with them. They want meetings on a Friday, but we don't work on Fridays. These are the these are the things I have to discuss with them, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't know. Yeah. So it's a big learning curve. And then once we agree to that, they get in and then they're not happy, right? And then I have to then make a decision on do mm. we cut off this relationship? Do we complete it? And we've had that mm. at least twice last year where I was like, whoo, this sure. is not going down a path I like. And they were like, no, it's fine. We'll push through and we'll get it done. And I'm like, I refuse. <laughs> I refuse sure, for this wow. to be the cult. Like, and, and I have refunded clients. I have cut off relationships to say mm. no and to say, listen, you do not respect yeah. our boundaries. Because we were very clear when we started that this is our way of work. And people are always going to push. And sometimes you try and yeah. be nice. And you're like, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll take this meeting after hours. I'll do this. I'll, And then it escalates. So yeah, yeah, it spirals. Yeah. 
it's and I think constant it's management yes. of people's feelings. And you said, you know, you're no longer a part of the delivery part of the projects. You kind of hand it over once the sales part is done, which I guess actually gives you the advantage and the space and distance you need to make such harsh and difficult calls to say, no, I don't care. Because if you kind of on the ground dealing with the person and the people, it's it's really difficult yeah. to kind of enforce those boundaries and make such a hard, clean cut. Mm. So that, yeah. No, it is. Mm. And, and, and I think that's because I've only also become this way because of all the things I've been through and all the ways I've seen problems being handled before, you know, where, and I think that's what I'm consistently conscious of is I've, I've experienced this before. I know what this feels like and I know where this road is going. They don't mm. see that yet. That's why also sometimes mm -hmm. I make decisions on certain clients where I know we're not going to make money now. I know it's going to be yeah. not the best thing to do right now, but I know that in the future it is. So for example, we ran, yeah. Alfie, we ran a boot camp two years ago. And at the time, like Dylan and Claudia weren't even with us, right? Like Paul was lecturing at Open Window and we were having like sessions at like seven o'clock on a Monday morning. But mm. I knew that the people we chose to help during that boot camp would return, whether in money or in kind in the future. And now two years later, we are getting a return on that investment. And the work the team is now doing is all fun and exciting, Mm. But, you know, we, we, we had to make that investment yeah. and that a little bit of sacrifice mm -hmm. in the beginning. So when I say we get to choose the projects, it's not all fun and games. Sometimes it's about sitting down and saying, okay, guys, the client is, can only pay 10% of what this is worth. But do we want to give them what they're paying for? Do we want to give them the best value? Which means that this is more work than we're getting paid to do. And we mm -hmm. we don't have a guarantee, but we're hoping that this will be a return on investment later. Sure. Or, yeah. you know, we actually need the money right now, which is the position we're in, right? Like this year financially has been an absolute wreck. And I'm like, guys, we need to make payroll. So we have to mm. either do this or do that. You know, here there's at least sometimes yeah. options, but yeah. are we okay with now? doing this for example and growing in this because mm -hmm. no matter what you do you're growing right and that happened to yeah. be branding and marketing websites which if you asked us a year ago we would have curled up into a ball and said no we are not touching a marketing website because it scares us to death we understand software mm -hmm. we don't understand copywriting and the beauty and elegance that yeah. comes with marketing websites but we said mm -hmm. yes because that was the work coming to us and we learned how to do it really damn well <laughs> Mm -hmm. And now it's becoming an entire department, you know, mm. so sure. Yeah. That, I'm getting, I'm getting insight into my own business while having this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, that in some ways is, I think what was so beautiful about what we were doing, because I think mm. at, at the start of each conversation that, that you and I were having as we were engaging, we weren't necessarily sure where it was going to go. But I think at least for me, at the end of each session, it felt like time well spent. And that to me was a thing that was, that was, was re both really cool and what I'm hoping to repeat with this, with this process. Um, but I think. Thank you. <laughs> for me too. <laughs> we didn't know where we were going with you, Alfie. All we knew is that you were the person and you were the boat we wanted to be on. And we like sail us into the seven seas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and in the seven seas we are and you know I, i'm yes. i'm really looking looking forward to see um to seeing how this unfolds both in the context of this uh conversation series but i think also the the partnership and some of the work that we're doing outside of that so <clears throat> we're kind of reaching the the closing stages of this discussion and i'd like to end this episode a little bit differently to how we typically do and i'd like you to for a second, you know, maybe first start by just taking a deep breath because I want us to almost leave the rest of the conversation behind. I want you to think back. Think back to the moment where you went in to, through that transition of Jack being this umbrella that covers the freelance work that Sabia is doing 
to Jack being this group of people who are going out on a new journey. And I want you to think back to that version of yourself. And imagine yourself sitting across from the table from that version of you. And now can you now if you had 30 seconds to talk to that version of yourself, what are the things that you would want to tell you tell yourself? It's going to be so much harder than you ever could imagine. And the growth you're going to experience is going to be personal. The only way you're going to achieve something different is if you become someone different. And you need to be open to continuous consistent change to continuously have something different. And that's not easy. Sure. And it might and be lonely, but there are people that are going to show up for you and you're not going to have to do this alone, even though it feels lonely. You're never also going to be alone again. Probably going to make me cry. And, <laughs> and I think that is an amazing place to close this first mm-hmm. episode of, I think, a couple of really interesting conversations. Sabia? Thank you very much for your time. To everybody listening, thank you. Please go and visit Jack Creative Studios website. That's jacks.co.za. Jack Studios. Jack Studios. We'll put the link. We'll put the link. Don't worry. Yeah. Links everywhere. We'll put all the links in. But I think also for those of you who are listening to this episode, Um I think the next couple of episodes are going to be very interesting because we're going to con- continue this conversation and then right at the end we'll bring everybody into a room together and have a little bit of a reflection over the series. So if you are listening this is the beginning of an interesting journey and thank you very much for your time and good day. See you soon.